Hey, folks, good evening, and welcome to Fams and Monsters Personal Reports, where I narrate and discuss some of the cryptid and unexplained sightings and encounters that are submitted to Phantoms and Monsters. I will also detail current and past investigations, which is on what I'm going to do tonight, so thanks for joining me. Now, uh, the Phantoms and Monsters radio channel is made possible by you liking uh, and uh, sharing and subscribing. Uh, our programming uh super chat and super thanks donations are appreciated uh the, the buy me a coffee link is also available so your consideration is very much appreciated so um tonight's gonna be a little bit different um now i don't know if how many of these cases any of you are familiar with i've been involved with a few of these in the past uh, hauntings and uh, a few other strange cases these aren't cryptid cases um, and in fact, one of these, the last one I'm going to talk about is about f- over 40 years old, but it was, it was a personal case I'd investigated myself. So, um, there's three cases. So what I will do, I'll, I'll, I'll talk, I'll talk about them, describe them, and I can stop after each one. If you have questions, you can put it up on the, um, you can put it up onto the chat and uh i'll do my best to answer them so let's get started um now this this first incident this first case is it was a pretty long case uh the the victims of this ordeal have allowed me to disclose their story and agreed to make their names public i had done a video about this previously and but this case was presented publicly for the first time during the emotional interview that was broadcast live on beyond the edge radio in june 15 2014. so in uh in february 2013 while i was assisting another investigative group a request for help was received from a family in sioux city iowa now, the residents of the family home were twin sisters, Erlene and Sabrina, and their children. Now, the initial complaint was presence of a dark entity. Um, the dark apparition is seen by my family. It has scratched family members and makes noise, and there's been a rotting flesh odor. So, Sabrina stated that my sister has seen me write unknown words. And I'm not aware of it. I also talk in another language, pupils black in color, and also saying extremely bad things toward my children that I would never say consciously. Uh, At times, TV or radio turn on, we try to come up with an explanation, but can't find one. There's banging on the walls, doors shutting, dishes shaking, uh, feeling and not being able to move. When lying down, like I'm paralyzed, that something was keeping me down. Uh, This happened to me and my son. The feeling of fear that my daughter feels and the women that she states she saw wearing a lace, the woman that she saw wearing a lace dress. And my sister states she feels like she's being attacked spiritually and it doesn't like her. And she later added that at my present, previous residence, this is where it began. It started getting physical when my daughter was being pulled off the bed uh, next to me. Now, my niece lived with me for a short time, and she experienced some of this type of sexual touch 
She was very emotional about it and it frightened her severely. There was an extensive amount of doors slamming and cupboards slamming. My sister witnessed a measuring cup coming out of the drawer. At the time, she was talking about praying and something about ignoring what was happening in the house. The uh, lights would turn on and off. The thermostat would get turned up. In my son's room, in my room, there was a heavy feeling a majority of the time. Knocking coming from the closets and could be heard even in the living room during one of the meetings with another investigation team. There was an extremely loud bang on the wall that was adjoined to the closet in my son's room. I asked my sister to see if the adjoining neighbor had done something or if anything could have been made that noise from the outside. <clears throat> the neighbors were eating their dinner, but stated they, they did hear a loud noise. Uh, the noise couldn't be explained, and we all knew it came from the same wall, which was the wall that was actually shared with the adjoined neighbors. So the TVs had turned on and off in the house as well. Now, the crosses, crucifixes that my sister made and put above the doorway had been taken. Overpowering odor of death, my sister had to leave the house because of the terrible odor made her wretch. But when we went back down the hallway, it was gone. During this, now, during this period, the twins' mother was living with uh, Sabrina in her, in her residence. Uh, her mother soon experienced symptoms of dementia and was taken to the Mayo Clinic. She didn't respond to therapy and was placed in a nursing facility where, where Sabrina worked. The doctors at the facility described her illness as resembling post-traumatic stress disorder. So, uh, Sabrina eventually moved in with Erlina, which was actually across the street. Not long after the move, the activity from the previous house started in the new residence. What I gathered, as many as four paranormal groups, including a priest, attempted to clear the locations. The sisters were soon, the sisters were soon contacted through Skype. At the time, and this was the group, well, my group I was with, at the time, I had not read the contact form submitted by Sabrina. Now, all I knew was that the clients lived in Iowa. I was not given an address or information about the situation. We had rather a short consultation when I sensed that there was an airport or aircraft nor nearby. I had a strong feeling of individual spirit energy over a wide area. Now, I asked the clients if there was an airport located in their area. They responded by saying that the airport was directly across the thoroughfare from their house, approximately 1,000 foot away. Suddenly, I sensed some type of air disaster in which the pe many people were killed. And after some research and uh, some recollection, I soon discovered that on July 19, 1989, United Airline Flight 232, a DC-10 crash landed at Sioux Gateway Airport in Sioux City, Iowa, after su suffering catastrophic failure in his tail-mounted engine, which led to the loss of all flight controls. Of the 296 people on board, 111 died in the accident, while 185 survived. Seven of the deaths were children. Now, after seeing the reference to the accident, I started to remember the, the events vividly. Uh, Soon became apparent that the energies I detected were probably from the crash. Eventually, 
these energies were not the problem, but did contribute to the activity. For the first few months of the investigation, I was still assisting with the original group. Uh, two remote view sessions were conducted in order to gather evidence. Several conferences were held with the clients. Unfortunately, Sabrina was still exhibiting extreme bipolar-like behavior. Even though we were on Skype, we could still observe her fairly well on the cam. She literally transformed physically, especially in her face. Arlena had described Sabrina's activity as well, writing unknown words and talking unknown languages. Her condition was affecting everybody in the house. Now, we were told that Sabrina's bedroom was the most active, so we placed the laptop in the middle of the room and directed the camera in an area we were told that noises could be heard. Everybody left the room as we watched on Skype. In a 10-minute period, we observed the desk light twice fade in and out, and the frame picture on the wall move a few inches across the wall. Soon, we were convinced that some type of spirit energy was present. Now, by April 2013, it was obvious that we were getting nowhere with the case. Activity was occurring day and night. Everybody in the house was experiencing something. Shadows were seen in the hallway, banging on the walls, objects going missing, and items flung across the room, and, as well as the menacing feeling anytime someone would walk into the house. I decided to take on the case exclusively while the group worked on other projects. Not long after that, I did leave the group, but I personally continued to work with the Sioux City clients at their request. I told the sisters that they needed me to contact me anytime 24-7. I was determined to find the actual cause of the disturbances. I worked one-on-one with Sabrina and Erlina for the next eight months, basically all, learning all I could about the history of the family and investigating incidents during their lifetime. Now, one particular incident occurred during this period that suggests to me that this entity was more than just a malevolent earthbound energy. Uh, Erlina had reported to me that an inverted peace symbol had manifested on the closet wall in one of the bedrooms. It seemed as though it was painted on the drywall, was, but it was impossible to scrub off. I instructed her to paint over it after I consulted with a known occultist who stated that this, this was a sigil that implied hate and deceit. Now, the, the investigative process was very slow and tedious, but eventually some helpful information came forward. At one point, in one period at, in the sisters' life, lives, they lived with relatives in Arlington, te Texas. I started to research the history of the house, which was built by the grandmother and the property and the property and discovered a few interesting facts. For whatever reason, the house and the property were valued far less than any other house and property in the huge subdivision. The house has had several subsequent residents. Some had died there. I decided that I needed to conduct a controlled remote view along with two associates and a monitor. Now, the session revealed that several rituals had been conducted on the property and that the property also had a stigma attached to it by others in the neighborhood. The location also possessed a deep sense of sorrow and hate. We also felt that there was a lot of lingering issues that revolved around the property. The um, viewers each reached this conclusion. 
I decided not to reveal this information to the clients at that time. I'm glad I didn't because Erlina soon asked me if I could determine the fate of her missing aunt. While they were living in Arlington, her aunt disappeared after leaving with some people one afternoon at the house. The last time they saw her was when she got into the car. I conducted a distant reading a few days later, which I used to discern information while I'm in a heightened perceptive state. It can be described as my extension of my five senses. I usually execute these sessions alone. I don't want anybody accusing me of cold reading a client, though it would be conducted on Skype. Voice inflection, though it would be conducted on Skype. On Skype, voice inflection could still give the reader certain clues. So I just avoid duality as much as I possibly can. I sensed the aunt was uh, no longer among the living. Finding a body would require some field work, which I wasn't in a position to do. Now, this disappearance had weighed heavily on the family for many years. I believe that much of this sorrow, combined with the malevolent energies within the Texas house, seeded something within the sisters. The clients had moved to Nebraska, then Iowa, where they reside today. Now, whatever this energy was, it traveled with them, continued continuing to grow many times, continuing to grow when times were tough and when life seemed out of control. It became apparent to both Erlina and Sabrina are spirit beacons, that they attract spirit energy. And in fact, much of the immediate family are impasse and uh, seem to easily take on emotions of other family members, even at great distances. I have seen this phenomenon before, but not to the degree this family exists exhibited. All of this needed to be taken in consideration when determining the cause of the disturbances. Now, Erlina is a deeply devout Christian. I truly believe that her faith and confidence allows her to keep this entity at bay, even though she did experience paranormal activity. But on the other hand, Sabrina has more pressing personal issues. And by the time 2012 rolled around, this entity had grown to a point where she could no longer control it. It followed her everywhere, even to her workplace. It was determined by me in some consultation with colleagues that Sabrina had been plagued by a thought form entity, a mind-created supernatural being, possibly as poltergeist. Regardless of what is presented on television and in the movies, poltergeist activity is very rare. There are several theories as to what a poltergeist is, but it seems that it's always has two relative factors. One would be uh, psychokinesis or PK, which is an ability that allows a person to influence objects or people without physical interaction. The other factor would be malevolency toward the oppressed and those around them. A poltergeist haunting can be curtailed by the person generating the entity. This involves instruction in how to control emotions and fears as well as avoiding uncontrollable situations. This is the point where the overwhelming spirit energy at the location comes into play. Now, as a result of the crash of United Airlines Flight 232, there are many wandering spirits in the vicinity, many of which don't realize they are no longer part of a living body or, re or remain for other reasons. 
Malevolent entities require energy to remain viable. If they cannot feed on human emotion and life force, then they need to look elsewhere. Earthbound spirits are fodder for stronger entities, and this was the reason it became so difficult to weaken this troublesome entity. I instructed Arlena on how to form a barrier around the residence in order to keep the earthbound spirits out of the house. We were starting to see a change in the lessening of the activity. Now, Sabrina still has an attachment with her, but she moved out of her sister's home and has moved in with her fiancé. As well, she is no longer living near the airport in the mass of earthbound energies. The degree of her torment has significantly lessened. I continue to provide support, which includes guidance and instruction. Now, aftercare can be a long-term commitment in certain cases. These services are provided at no cost. I only ask that the client have an open mind, the discipline to follow my recommendations, and to remain positive, which is imperative in order to resolve their problem. Now, after working with these clients for close to a decade, I still keep in touch with them. Uh, the children have exhibited PK abilities and are most likely developing mediums. The oldest has been attracting spare energy since she was very young. I have worked with her individually as well in order to keep her, help her to understand why she sees and senses occasional entities. And as a result of my extended associate with the clients, or consider ourselves family. Now, recently, within the year, uh, with the help of one of one of the team members, we were able to clear whatever remaining uh, level energy was at this new location. And for the past year, I'd say the last nine or ten months, everything seems to be pretty good. I I still keep in contact with the girl um, who's actually graduated from high school. She's she's very talented. She's very gifted. And what she does occasionally ask me questions, and I try to help her as much as I can. So um, that's this case. Now, if, if you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them now, or if you want to wait at another point, or after the show, we can do it, or after I read everything. I don't think we've had any questions. I have two other cases I'm going to talk about, and... Um, Go ahead and get to those. Now, over the years, and, and this is a pretty disturbing case, but over the years, I've had several readers ask me about the use of remote viewing <clears throat> as part of a case investigation tool. Now, the following details are from a remote viewing session conducted before the initial on-site investigation by my colleagues at a residence in Leatherhead, Surrey, UK, which is just south of London, in November 2010. Now, part of my investigation follow-up notes are also included. Now, my remote view colleague and I conducted a remote view on this case a few times, a few days, excuse me, a few days before the initial on-site investigation. Now, my colleague set the target coordinate she was monitoring, and... Um, we systematically executed the five phases in order to perceive the target and to gather as much information as possible. Now, I'm going to go through a few of the steps, try to do some explanation. Um, and if you have questions about it, we can talk about that later. In phase one, 
The coordinates, which are a set of two four-digit numbers, were given to me from which an ideogram, a graphic symbol that represents an idea or concept, was developed. Now, I also have a, a pad of paper in front of me, and I'm writing down as, as I'm doing this, keeping notes, as well as the monitor as well. The target was narrowed down to a subject by the name of Anne who had died by her own hand in this house. By probing the ideogram descriptors, a function of describing the target, were used to uh, determine the specifics of the target. Now, several attempts with the same target coordinates were done in order to get an average assessment. Now, in phase two, the target vignette was narrowed by probing for sounds, textures, temperature, colors, luminescence, contrast and smells. Though this information, through this information, I was able to focus in on any verticals, horizontals, diagonals, topography, mass and energetics, as well as my overall feeling of the target. In this instance, Anne was a very withdrawn young woman who spent much of her time in the attic reading and just keeping to herself. I sensed that she had been tormented by the possessive entity for many years, and that this malevolent spirit was originally part of the house when her family moved in. I described the entity as a middle-aged man of medium height that wore workman clothes. This entity is pictured uh, from a photo captured by one of my colleagues on the old site investigation. I, I, I hope that Vince is putting it up there. Uh, in phase three, I made a rough sketch or drawing of what was I was perceiving. And at this point, the sketch included the attic area, a corner directly a, above the master bedroom and suspect, suspected vortex, and Anne sitting in this corner. It seemed that Anne was intensely depressed and frustrated by the attached entity. So in phase four... I went into a deeper perception of the target. Uh, this included sense, magnitudes, emotions, physicals, subspace, and concepts. There were other specifics used, but at this point, there was no systematic procedure because of the observations are coming or starting to come together into a primary deduction. The overall impression of, of that. The overall impression was that Anne committed suicide, and she did this by positioning a rope or cord to a beam directly over the hatch used to enter the attic. She sat on the edge of the open hatch and dropped through. Now, I assumed Anne's persona through her eyes just before and for some time after her death. And I, I'll tell you, that was a, that was a freaky incident. I experienced pain and sadness of this tragedy as well, which will happen during a remote view. As well, Anne suffered acute regret for performing this act, not only for the suffering that her mother would endure, but anguish for taking her own light, her own for, for taking another life, and was with child. After I experienced a spinning sensation, it seemed that my entire body had drifted away. No pain, loss of identity, zero being dead. I opened my eyes and saw her, Anne, screaming back at me, 
why? Why did you do that? Not long after, I could see people below me, wandering through the front room. I was floating above them. Now, I went into phase five. A colleague asked me to draw, to draw a vertical line, then to retrace the line from top to bottom. Now, at that point, I had drifted down into the front room among the people. There were police officers, Anne's mother, and others who I did not recognize. Then I looked towards the stairs, and there he was, Anne's tormentor. The entity that helped perpetuate her sorrow. He was never going to leave Anne regardless of what she did. Now, this unnamed entity was no longer attached to Anne since she had passed away, but I feared it may escalate its harassment of any living resident in the house. The third spirit in the house was that of Anne's father, Ian. He was not an earthbound spirit and was able to move in and out of the planes separating both worlds. Ian was there to protect Anne and to comfort those affected by this malevolent entity. There are other specifics, but because of client confidential, this information must remain private. So I'm going to talk about the case investigation after the remote view of the on-site investigation. Uh, This house was built in the early 1950s, a few years after World War II ended. As soon as money and workforce became available in the UK, the housing boom began to allow houses to allow homes for um, families that had been bombed out of, their, out of our city by the cities or the enemy during the war. Now, whether this family moved into the house when it was first built or not, I'm not sure. Um, but we do know that there, they were there in the 1970s. Thinking about it, I would say that they were the second family to live there. The family in question consisted of the mother, the father, Ian, and the daughter, Anne. Now, we do know that the mother had a brother, Anne's uncle, who suffered from schizophrenia, which for many back in the 1970s and 80s was scorned by many families preferred not to talk about these things. As soon as Anne was growing up, as, as Anne was growing up, she was often seen playing or sneaking around the neighbor's garden with her uncle picking or pinching the uh, neighbor's flowers. And Anne was her father's daughter, and the two of them doted on one another. But in the 1980s, the day before Anne was to get her exam results from the uh, CSEs at school, which would enable her to find work once she left school or go to, the fur- to further education or college, her father suddenly died. This is more than likely, it was more than likely from a heart attack. Uh, Anne was devastated, and it was from this time on that she became depressed. Her life now without her father was gone, and this totally shattered her. The depression did not lift, but only got worse and worse. She never recovered from her father's death because of her uncle's mental history her mother thought the same illness had overcome her daughter and because of the shame of it never sought medical help or medication for her daughter now eight years slowly went by while her mother was out of the house one day and climbed up into the attic threw a rope around one of the rafters and with the other end wrapped around her neck jumped back down through the hatch and hung herself 
At some point in those eight years during her deep depression, Anne had attracted an, an attachment to herself, an earthbound male who had been a manic depressive who may have ended his life by suicide as well. This entity added to Anne's depression, having not only her own distress, but also the symptoms of the earthbound and the control it had over her. Now, after Anne's death, the earthbound no longer had a host to hold on to and was released into the house, but may still have some control over the spirit of Anne. Um, these weren't the first two entities I found in the house. Now, the third was that of Ian, the father, who was not earthbound, but free to come and go as desired. Uh, he was most likely drawn to the house through the hold that Anne's distress held on him, not only while she was alive, but after her death as well. Now, Anne was not the problem in this house, only being heard occasionally. The problem was this earthbound male, uh, who I at first thought may have been the uncle until I remotely saw the uncle, who was short and kind of stocky. This earthbound male was of medium height and slim when he materialized to me. Now, I do not believe this earthbound male had ever lived in this house, but at one time during Anne's life, saw the opportunity to hitch a ride onto Anne. Like I said previously, he further complicated her life. And um, the remote view verified all this and gave us some very helpful information. Now, this earthbound male and the entity and the events was shown to me through the eyes of Anne. The target that my colleague set was the last day in the life of Anne herself. Now, we started to remotely work on this case about two and a half weeks beforehand by altering the atmosphere in the house in preparation for the clearing and the comfort of the family now living there. Then during the third week, we came a, we went ahead with the clearing. Now today, we had confirmation. In, when I say today, I'm talking about what you, maybe like 2010. Uh, we have confirmation from the homeowner that it worked, although as before with previous cases, we still we were still in what we call the probationary period. This is approximately two to three weeks after clearing, in which we the location is continually observed. Um, we knew that there was no need to clear the father as he was not earthbound. So the first entity we wrote was uh, Anne herself. While working on Anne, we saw her father come forward and take her. We had to change her view as she could see her father through the eyes of what child she once was, of that child that she once was, in order to remove all the dark emotions that was holding her back. This occurred quicker than we thought it would, and once her energy had been changed, it took only 20 minutes or so to get her to go through. Now, the earthbound male was more difficult. If he was alive today, one would say that he was an obstinate, stubborn man, racked with guilt. Through his eyes, the world was very gray. His depression level was an extremely high level. This had to be altered in order to get him to cross over. The sadness and frustration of this entity resulted in the banging and crashing that were heard in the EVPs. This was apparently worse than the investigative team. This was apparently worse when the investigative team visited for a second time as he felt threatened by them. 
in one way he was crying out for help and the other he did not want anyone near him for fear of what would happen now he had lost his host body and and his comfort zone was gone this made him more lost in himself he had no trust in anyone who attempted to help him this could only have been the conditions he had in life little or no trust in anyone it took over an hour before we finally succeeded. Now, at this time, Anne's mother was quite old and frail. She had sold the house to our clients, but a few weeks after the sale, came back one more time. She asked the family, our clients, to go, if she could go upstairs by herself. They gave her their permission. She struggled up the stairs, practically crawling on her hands and knees. She stood, stop, she stood silently on the landing just underneath the attic access hatch. When she was ready to come down, our male client actually carried her back down the stairs. Was this her saying goodbye to her loved ones? We really think it was. Uh, now, none of these entities were a direct tent threat to the client family. The energies were just wrapped up in their own sadness and desolation. And hopefully this case is closed. And since then, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard there's been any reoccurrence of anything from anyone. Um, it, this was this was an interesting RV. Um, it's not the only time that I've been able to sense things through the actual um, departed spirit, but. Um, it is what it is. So, uh, but no, this is a very interesting case. So if you have questions, I'll, I'll be more than happy to answer. Let's see, we've got some starred questions here. Uh, how does someone become a remote viewer? Well, in my case, I was lucky enough to find somebody who had actually worked for MI6 and was a trained remote viewer and psychic. Um, you know, I, I know people who have taken courses and, and they believe that it has helped them. Uh, if, if you do learn how to remote view, I would suggest either doing a do it by scientific remote viewing or controlled remote viewing, CRV. Uh, that's how I learned. And uh, it takes time. I literally, I literally worked with this remote viewer for six months she lived in Wales. Uh, I, I did, we did it through Skype, but uh, I did learn a lot, and I have used, and I still use it occasionally, even for cryptic cases. But it has come in handy. But no, that's the way I, I, I think you can probably use it. Uh, can these entities influence people or hurt them physically? Sure. In some cases, they can. In this case. The clients, actually, it was affecting their, their young son. He was seeing these entities through the mirror, and this entity through a mirror. And um, But uh, that's the only way they knew about what that something was going on, that he had described something. Uh, what effect does the remote viewing have when you add words like there are side effects in general? Yeah, there can be. Um I, you know, during a remote view is probably the most dangerous time. Uh, I've had physical or psychic attacks 
I literally had a laceration. I've talked about this before. I had a laceration down from my sternum to my belly button that needed treatment. Also uh, bruised some ribs on my left side as well. And psychic attacks are, they're, they are common and in some cases, especially if you get, uh, if you get a really strong entity and they're pushing back on you. Uh, Vincent, are these negative entities demons? You know, you know how my I'm with demons. They're just evil. Um, in this case, they are, they are human entities, but they're they're malevolent, and uh, it's it's from their time from being alive. So um, it, it kind of it kind of takes on its own form in death, but they remain earthbound. And as, if they become earthbound, they they usually will find a host like they did with Anne. And um, and it's interesting thing. I never did identify who this person was, who this entity was in life. Do you feel that we all have capability to remove you? Absolutely. I think everybody has the ability to even become an intuitive. Um, sometimes this is easier for others. Um, but no, I, I think I think everybody's capable of it. Nancy asked, has any entity tried to talk to them? First case. Um, it happens occasionally. Um, I've only had a few cases like that. But uh, it, it's not like an audio, an audible. It's usually psychically or intuitively. Um, many times, many times it occurs at nighttime, right before the time they're going to sleep or that period of time before sleep and being awake. That happens to me occasionally uh, if there's a spirit near me. Trying to get my attention, they will try to talk to me psychically. Okay. So, this last case. Now, <laughs> this is an old one. As some of you may know I began investigating paranormal activity back in 1977. Back then, there were very few investigators on unexplained phenomena. This particular investigation was conducted in 1984 at a location near my former workplace. Some of Maryland's most interesting history occurred along the Patapsco River. From Parr's Spring to Elk Ridge, the river valley's geography goes from a cold Piedmont stream to a rugged, rocky gorge into a coastal plain. Many of my investigations at that time have been in locations closely related to the river. Many paranormal investigators have concentrated on locales around Ellicott City, Maryland. I prefer to dive deeper into Patapsco River's haunted history. So uh, now this look, this investigation took place in August of 1984 in a location about a half mile downstream from the Frederick Road Bridge at Ellicott City on River Road. Now, River Road veers right from Frederick Road and descends into uh, uh, to the riverbank. 
as soon as the road levels about 400 foot from the turn, you see a back wall of an old building against the hillside. Now, above this wall was a Baltimore Gas and Electric substation, which was located up on Frederick Road. This uh, property was also owned by BG&E, though at the time of this investigation, there were more building structure and, and the area was accessible to most anyone. Now, this area is historically known as Gray's Mill. It was originally a Methodist church, later enlarged and fitted as a paper mill. In fact, it was advertised in 1807 as the largest paper mill in the U.S. Edward Gray and other investors soon purchased the mill and transformed it into a major cotton duck plant. Now, after, the, after a huge fire, Gray rebuilt the plant into the largest cotton, mill, cotton cloth mill in the U.S. and named it Patapsco Manufacturing Company. Now, uh, and I hope you all don't mind the history. I like to talk about the history of my cases many times. So Gray built a large mansion adjacent to the mill where he, his wife, and daughters lived happily for many years. In 1829, Gray's daughter, Elizabeth, married John Pendleton Kennedy, and a couple lived in the mansion. Now, Kennedy was a well-known writer and lawyer in Baltimore who had reached the pinnacle of social status at a fairly young age. He entered politics and was elected to Congress and later was appointed Secretary of the Navy under President Millard Fillmore. The list of guests and friends who visited and stayed at his home was pretty remarkable. Edgar Allan Poe, James Fenimore Cooper, Washington Irving, Charles Dickens, Andrew Jackson, Commodore Perry, James Madison, Francis Scott Key, and many more important writers and statesmen spent time at this mansion. Uh, Kennedy's library was said to be the most impressive private library in the country, containing many European first editions and works of famous friends that were never published. As well, Kennedy had a spectacular garden grove. Washington Irving was known to spend many evenings sitting among the trees gazing upon the river. Now, Elizabeth Kennedy would stand on the riverbank and wave an American flag as Union soldiers would hoot and holler from the train on the west bank of the river heading toward Baltimore. All this would change in 1868 when the flood of the century swept through the valley and washed most of the mansion and contents away. The Kennedys were devastated and forced to move from their beloved valley. Now, for several years, I had been told about strange lice lights and mists that emanated from the mansion area on River Road. And this happened mostly at night. For many years previous, the riverbank was a hangout spot for local kids until the state built mounds and barriers on the riverbank to block cars from parking. The sightings began after the parking areas were removed and the area was quiet in the evening hours. I had personally noticed fog in this area because it was swampy and there is a small drainage stream that flows through the location. I decided to investigate on the night when there would be minimal traffic on River Road, namely when the mill was down or shut down. I received permission to park my car in a small private lot on Frederick Road and walk down to River Road to the Gray's Mill location. 
A friend who had worked with me previously accompanied me to the site. We decided to walk around the grounds as best as we could to, and see if we could observe any activity. Now we started at 7.30 p.m. and used the remaining light to get our bearings to which to which areas of the site we would concentrate. The area was, the weather was very warm and humid in the mid eighties and clear. <clears throat> we, I decided we would stick together because of the swampy terrain. Now we set up along the mansion remnants that included large pieces of granite strewn randomly. There was a large part of the back wall remaining. So we sat there and waited. As dusk came and the area became alive with peepers, which are small frogs that sing in the moonlight. Behind the wall in the high bank that extends up toward Nine Mile Hill onto Frederick Road, we could, we could barely hear the traffic on the main road above us and behind us. It was very peaceful as the river rippled through the valley and the moonlight bounced off the water, providing a dancing lights against the, the opposite bank. Now, around 10.30 p.m., we started hearing sounds on the hill directly behind us. Now, I figured it was probably a raccoon or a possum looking for a meal, but after a couple minutes, I heard a rustling in the high weeds to our left and could see movement. Now, I pointed the flashlight toward Jerry and noticed no nothing. Uh, as soon as I turned the flashlight off, I sensed the presence of something. My friend suddenly commented that he felt a chill sweep by his right ear. The entity I sensed was definitely that of a woman. She seemed to be joyful and was definitely enjoying herself. I started to get a deeper sense of the spirit and, and started to see the name Catherine. There were a few cold spots along the wall, but there was no vibration normally associated with a vortex. Her presence continued off and on for about a half an hour. I tried to get an indication from the spirit if, if it aware, was aware of, that we were present. I walked around to see if I could get a better gauge of her presence. The best sign I could get was an occasional sweeping sound in the high grass. Now, this activity continued past midnight until we noticed a scent of honeysuckle. Now, there were no honeysuckle bushes in the area, and the scent was getting very strong almost to the point of being sickening. And then we noticed her. Directly in front of us, at a distance of about 20 yards, we became aware of a misty, full-bodied apparition of a woman with blonde or gray hair in a light blue dress moving left to right, then proceeding towards the road. And she would move back towards us. It was a very spooky sight because it seemed she would light up occasionally, revealing her facial features and hair. We watched this for a few minutes when I decided to try to communicate. I slowly got on my feet and walked towards her. I stopped and watched her move around me when suddenly she started moving towards me. Instantly, I was hit in the face with that sickly honeysuckle scent. This time, it made my eyes and nose burn. I tried to look around me, but could not see or nor sense her. My eyesight was blurry, and I was very uncomfortable. My partner said that she moved off towards the road, and he lost sight of her. I then realized that I should have restrained from making any physical contact, and believe me, I don't do that anymore. 
this could have easily been a serious situation if the spirit was benevolent. And frankly, I knew better. All indications are that this was a visiting specter, that there was no residual haunting, at least by this spirit. And we waited another half an hour, but noticed nothing further. Frankly, that odor of honeysuckle was still on me. And I was ready to go home and wash it off. So one interesting side note is when I got home, my wife, my first wife, thought I was crazy because she did not notice any scent of honeysuckles. Uh, But later on, it, it started to emanate. For almost a week, and she wouldn't sleep in the bed. I mean, she she slept out in the living room, or I slept out in the living room. Now, I have checked the name Catherine for many years, and the best I can speculate is that Catherine was either a guest or friend of the Grayer Kennedy family who had drawn to the location. I never received any indications of sorrow or evil from her while she visited us that August evening. Too bad that this is not the case with most of the entities I have encountered. So, folks, you have any questions? I'll be more than glad to ask them, answer them. Uh, what is that hotel in California connected to Rorty back in the day? Crowley stayed there. I don't know which one you're talking about. You know, the only the only hotel I know in California that has been considered really haunted is the Coronado, which was in San Diego. I think they tore that down. I had to check with um, Nicole Strickland, but I think they actually, they, they tore that place down. Uh, off topic from Bernadette, off topic, but have you had any cases involving doppelgangers? No, no cases that I investigated. I have received a lot of reports of doppelgangers. Um, I don't know what to say about doppelgangers. It, it, it's bizarre. Um, I think there's a good possibility that some doppelgangers could be thought for manifestations, but I'm not sure. Um, but I uh, know I haven't, I haven't, I haven't actually investigated any doppelganger cases. Jose Sanchez asked, maybe those lit up sections of the spirit are ectoplasm. You know, I don't I don't know if I even believe much in ectoplasm. Um if a spirit has a, enough energy, it can pretty well do a lot of different things. I have I have seen them light up a bit sometimes. Uh I have seen areas around them light up. It's just like you know, people they feel cold spots. Can you know, are they are they evacuating warmth and such by being in a certain locations? Uh, inadvertently, maybe, but maybe it's something they cause themselves. Uh, I, I don't know how to really answer ectoplasm, although it's in, you know, it's in the Ghostbuster movies plus many mediums. Back in the um, back in the uh, Gilded Age, used to talk about ectoplasms. They used to use fake ectoplasm, just like in that photograph of these ectoplasms emanating from the medium or other areas during seances. Uh, I don't know what to think about that, but, uh, no, I, I think if a spirit has enough energy and it can actually emanate some light at some point, any other questions? The Cecil. Yeah, that's, 
That's in Skid Row in L.A. Yeah, that that hotel's had a lot of issues. There's been some murders and deaths there, or suicides and stuff as well. Uh, in fact, I wrote about that not long ago. Uh, Mr. St- someone's comment, Mr. Strickland, I have been able to see spirit shadow figures since him, and most recently have had talked to me physically only two words, I'm here. Why can't I ever see my dad that passed away? Well, if he's not earthbound, uh, then you probably won't see him unless he has the ability to move in and out of planes. Some spirits have the energy to do that. Uh, I'm not saying that he doesn't want to do it. But he's moved on, most likely. Any other questions? Well, I, I appreciate you folks coming on here and putting up with me and listening to these cases. I, you know, occasionally I will, um, I, I will actually talk about other cases as well. Um. I don't normally talk a whole lot about paranormal cases because of uh, of clients and, and privacy and such. You know, as, as far as Erlene and Sabrina, they were a um, they were very uh, you know they were almost like family to me, and they they went ahead and allowed me to talk about their case. And uh, but very few people will let me talk about it, and I I do I do respect that. So uh, thanks again, and uh, thanks for talking. You know, thanks for being in the chat and, and listening to me. Your questions were great. So, if you've had an unexplained encounter or sighting, feel free to contact me through the Phantoms and Monsters blog site. And um, you know, thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. Uh, please like, subscribe, and share. Now. Um, now, this Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time, I am going to have Bill Bean with me. Uh, Bill's been with me before. I've known Bill for a long time. Um, he's a, he, he's an actual deliverance minister, exorcist. He's written a book recently, and we will be talking about some of these cases in his book. So... Um, I don't think Bernadette's going to be doing a show this Friday, but you know, that may change. But anyway, if it does, we will put it up there. So until Friday night, stay healthy, have a safe, enjoyable week. Good night.